What is those words that we are desiring to hear, that we're striving to hear as we finish our race in faith? Well done, my good and faithful servants. And today, as we've talked about a couple times throughout our service, we're presented uh, in Luke's Gospel, the 16th chapter, with a rather interesting story, an interesting parable that Jesus tells about a manager who's described as shrewd. Now, if you're looking at your pew Bible this morning, it may actually have a different word. It's the parable of the dishonest manager. And there's some nuances, some things maybe that we don't expect in this parable, but there's definitely a lesson to be learned. So with that in mind this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand for our gospel reading. Again, it comes from Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 13. It can be found in the New Testament section of your pew Bible on page number 77 if you want to follow along. Again, Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 13. And these are the words of our Lord. Hear now. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now, now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? This man replied, a hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we do pray that you would give us eyes to see and understand your truth in fresh new ways. We pray that you would give us ears that we might hear your voice speaking to us, maybe in ways that we have never heard or maybe aren't even expecting this morning. And Lord, we pray that you give us lives that are ready to not only absorb that truth, but go and live it out to the honor and glory of your name. But Lord, we need your help today. We need your spirit to move in our midst. We need your spirit to stir our souls. 
We need your spirit to help us to understand. So Lord, may your spirit have freedom to reign not only in this place, but in our lives that you might be honored and glorified. And Lord, I ask over these next few moments that you would either speak through me or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me. But Lord, I pray that your word would go forth and that we, your people, would be changed because of it. It is in Christ's name and it is to his honor and glory that we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week, as we gathered together, things were rather straightforward. We were talking about using our time, our talents, our resources, our abilities to honor and glorify God. And then we sent you out to participate in the ministry and mission fair. And I have to say, we're very grateful for those who did participate, who not only created those booths and manned them and had some fantastic conversations, but for those who went around and engaged in conversation, taking that next step of faith learning more about a ministry or becoming involved. But we went from that rather straightforward place where we were last week, now back to Luke's Gospel, the 16th chapter. And today we encounter one of the most challenging, one of the most difficult of Jesus' teachings. And in today's passage, he tells another parable. He tells another earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But whereas some of these have been rather easy to understand, this one is by far one of the most challenging. It's a story that's difficult to make sense of, a story that at face value actually kind of raises more questions than it gives and provides answers. In this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to some of his closest friends and followers, those who have been walking with him and talking with him. And he tells them again a story, a story as he so often does. And this story is about a manager, someone that they could relate to, someone undoubtedly that we maybe can relate to this morning as well. But in this story, the manager has been found out. He's been found out for doing the bare minimum, for doing just the little bit that he needed to, to get by. He's not doing the best job that he possibly can. He's not using the time, the talents, and resources at his disposal in the best possible way. No, he's just doing what he can so that he gets his paycheck, so that he can maybe go home to his family, and so that he can continue to keep his job. It's the very minimum. But somewhere along the way, his work ethic has been shown to be exactly what it is. Well, not exactly what the boss desired. Maybe somewhere along the way, it was an assistant manager that ratted him out, or maybe it was someone else who came and brought his actions to the boss's attention. But regardless, the rich man, the boss, the owner is now aware of what's been going on. He's aware of the lack of effort that this employee has been putting in. He's been able to see maybe firsthand some of the work product that this manager has been producing. But regardless of how he's been found out, the bottom line is this. The manager is now called into the boss's office. And it's not raise time, it's not time to possibly get a promotion. No, he's been called into the boss's office and he knows exactly why he's there. 
And as he sits there in that chair, and maybe you've had that opportunity over the years, or maybe you've not, but it's an incredibly frustrating, intense situation for this manager because the boss looks at him and says, I need you to give an account for the job that you've done. I need you to explain to me the job you've done, the decisions that you've made, and why you have handled things in the way that you have. And not only that, it seems like he's been asked to present the books for audit. The boss wants to see and he wants to know in dollar and cents terms exactly what this manager has been up to. How he's been doing the job that he's been hired to do. And as he has to sit there and give an account, he doesn't have much to say. And the books, well, the books speak for themselves. And so as he sits there, it's becoming very clear to the boss the work product that this manager is presenting, and the manager knows exactly what he's sharing with the boss. And he loses his job. The boss strips him of his title, and he loses his job. And in this text, Jesus is very clear. The manager now doesn't know what to do. His back isn't strong enough to shovel, to dig, to do the work that would be required. And to be honest, this guy's never done a fair day's work in his life. And now with this blemish on his resume, he has no clue how he's ever going to get a job. He's definitely not going to have this nice, cushy job that he's enjoyed. He's definitely not going to be able to enjoy life in the way that he has. So now he's faced with providing for his needs. And maybe there's some subtext in there as well. Maybe this guy isn't even going to be tasked with providing for his own needs, but he has to figure out how to take care of his family. And so he has to get creative. What do you do in that type of situation? What do you do now that that title's been stripped away? What do you do now that that paycheck's no longer coming in? Well, this guy gets creative. And he starts to have lunch meeting after lunch meeting. He begins to call and set up meetings with all of his former boss's debtors. He goes to everyone who owes his boss something. And over these lunch meetings, he begins to renegotiate the deals that have been in place. And according to Jesus, there was possibly a mom-and-pop Italian restaurant that owned this, that owed this disgruntled manager's former employer a bunch of gallons of olive oil. They had bought this olive oil on credit. They needed it for their business to succeed, and they had met, and they had been agreeing to these terms of the agreement, but the former manager now took this bill. He took this debt, this debt that was enormous, this debt that they wouldn't be able to pay off in a number of years. And he said, you know what, let's adjust that. Let's change the terms of agreement. You can go ahead and you can scratch out what you owe, make it half of what it was. And then he signed off. He signed off on that bill as if the original had been a mistake. But that wasn't the only meeting he had. You see, there was another small owner-operated bakery in town. And that bakery owned 1,000 bushels of wheat. 
Again, a debt that they needed, a debt that they had to secure in order to make their business work, but there was no way they were going to meet it anytime soon. And so this manager who'd just been fired, he again meets with this bakery owner and he adjusts the bill. He makes it significantly less than what they owed. This thieving, conniving, unemployed manager did all that was in his power, all that he could think of to now make these debtors indebted to him. He hoped that they would respond to this gracious act. He, He hoped that they would respond to this newly negotiated term and that they would help him, that they would provide for him, that they'd care for him and his family. But as you can imagine, this rich owner, this boss, to whom the debt was actually owed, he had heard about all that had taken place. He had heard about all the lunch meetings that had occurred. He knew exactly what this former manager had done, and again, it didn't take him long to call this person into his office. But things were different this time. Not only had the manager not done his job originally, but now the debt that had been owed had been reduced to the point where not only the books a mess, but there was no way he was going to get all that he was owed. And so he calls this manager back. And you know what? You and I know why he's called this manager back. Even as I read this morning, you know why this manager has, er, has been called into the boss's office. The boss wants to give this low-down, dirty, conniving manager a piece of his mind, surely. Surely he wants to reprimand this guy and tell him how awful he is, not only the job that he did, but how dishonest he's been now since he's lost his job. In fact, maybe we expect to hear that Jesus says the police are waiting in the wings for this guy to confess his crime, to own up to all that he's done, so that they can throw some cuffs on him and cart him away to prison. At the very least, we kind of expect the boss to say, all right, now that you've settled my debts for me, here's the payment plan for how you can make this right. Right? That's kind of where we expect things to be. But none of that happens. Calling the former manager into his office, This rich man, the boss, doesn't threaten him. He doesn't say, I'm going to bring charges against you. He doesn't say any of those things to this man that we view as backstabbing and utterly ungrateful. No, instead, he looks at this former manager of his. This manager who had never done an honest day's work in his life. And he commends him. He commends him for his creativity. He commends him for his resourcefulness. He praises this guy for his creative thinking and actually for his newfound work ethic. It almost seems like he's saying, if he would only work this hard to begin with, then we wouldn't have had a problem. So what do we do with this parable? As Nathan said this morning, it's it's kind of confounding we to make sense of not only the story that Jesus tells, but then what he goes on to say. And I mean, I wish what Jesus had to say was, please don't be dishonest like this guy. Please be upright and true in your dealings. But that's not what he says. I say this is one of the most interesting parables, also one of the most confounding 
Because this is what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves. This is verse 9. Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth. So that when it's gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. What do we do with that? What are we, as followers of Jesus Christ, who are striving to be moral people who serve God and are part of the work of his kingdom, what are we to make sense of this? Now, some biblical scholars have understandably said there is one way that we can make sense of this, and we can say, as Jesus has elsewhere, that he's employing hyperbole, that he is kind of exaggerating the claims, making things more dramatic than they need to be so that he can illustrate the point that he's making. But again, there's another problem with that approach. The noticeable one being what we just stated. Jesus said, and I tell you, I tell you this, I tell you, you should make friends for yourself by way of dishonest wealth, so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. And then he goes on to talk in this parable about how this guy is rewarded, how he's praised, how he's celebrated for his dishonesty, for his shrewdness. In other words, everything in the parable, everything in what Jesus says points to the fact that this probably isn't hyperbole on Jesus' part. It's probably not some exaggerated statement that he's making in order to illustrate his point more effectively. But another scenario, and the one that I want to suggest this morning, comes actually from first century Judaism. You see, within Judaism, there was this practice that had been referred to as simple and complex. It was a practice that was utilized by many a rabbi, and it was this idea that we move from the lesser to the greater, from what is inferior to the way that is superior. And again, it was utilized by many rabbis, and it was a technique that Jesus undoubtedly was familiar with. It was a common teaching technique, but it was also something that his hearers hermeneutically as they're hearing and interpreting and trying to make sense of what Jesus is saying, it's something that they would have been familiar with. It was something that the Jewish sage Hillel had used. It was something that was used in the tractate of Yamat in the Mishnah. And here's an example from the Mishnah this morning. In Holland, verse, in chapter 12, verse 5, it says, if speaking of a light commandment, and again, this is speaking of Scripture, this is an interpretation of or an understanding of, if speaking of a light commandment that deals with something that is only worth an ishar, which was a small bronze coin, the Torah said, in order that you may prosper, in order that you may live a long life, how much more would you give for the heavy commands of the Torah? The point of that mission, the point of that teaching, that point of that interpretation was simple, that if you wanted to enjoy a long life, yes, you could give the very bare minimum for it. You could give that small bronze coin. But if you valued life that much, and if life was worth that much to you, how much more, how much greater, how much more rewarding would it be if you were to give more? For it. If you were to commit to obeying the entire Torah. 
You see, a number of scholars have suggested that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this parable. That he's using this rhetorical technique, this way of speaking, this way of understanding, talking as if the shrewd manager was willing to do the least amount in the world to get the best return he thought possible. But then when he realized that there was so much more to life, he was willing to give more. He was willing to be creative. He was willing to engage in work. He was finally willing to sit down and have meetings with the creditors or with the debtors that owed his boss. And so he finally realizing what life was worth, what life could be, he was willing to give all to make it possible. And indeed, that seems to resonate with what Jesus says in verses 10 through 13. He says, whoever is faithful in very little, whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. And then he goes on in verse 11, if you've not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, if you haven't been faithful with even the things that are at your disposal that maybe you shouldn't have, who will entrust to you your riches? True riches. And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, then how will you be with your own? Then he goes on to say, no slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or devote themselves to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and love. And in case you missed it there, I want to read to you again, this time from Eugene Peterson's translation of the message. He says, streetwise people are smarter in this regard than all the law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert. They're looking for angles, surviving by their wits. And Jesus, he says, I want you to be smart in the same way. But for what is right? Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essential, on the bare essentials, so that you'll live, really live, and not just complacently getting by on good behavior. Friends, as disciples of Jesus, as people who are striving to follow him and to walk in his way, how we use, how we deploy those resources that God has put at our disposal. Those things matter. How we utilize this incredible gift of life that God has given us, it's of no small importance. It matters greatly. So know this, as we said last week, your life matters. You matter. The time, the talents, the resources, the gifts, all those things that God has put at your disposal matters. Now, you may not feel like you have much to offer. Maybe you feel like you're stretched very thin and you have very few hours that you can offer up. Maybe you feel like you're short on talents. Maybe you look around and think, I'm not nearly as gifted as that person over there. Maybe you don't feel like what you have is much to offer. But no matter how little or how much, no matter how little or much we feel like we have to give, no matter how small or how great the talents we feel like we have to offer back to God, 
you do matter. Your life matters. Those gifts that God has given you matters. They matter just as we saw last week in the ministry fair. As you went around from table to table, as you had conversation after conversation, you know what, maybe what you felt like you could offer up didn't matter as much as something else, but it matters. It matters greatly for God, for his work, and for the work of his kingdom. So friends, may we not wait until we feel like things are slipping away from us. May we not squander the time, the talents, the gifts that God has given us. May we not squander those resources that God has given us. No, may we actually realize, may we realize that God has something great in store for us. A life that is so much greater, a life that is so much better, so much fuller than we could ever imagine. If only we walk with him in faith, surrendering ourselves, our lives, our time, our talents, our resources to him. And Jesus talks about this in John 10.10. He talks about how the enemy comes to kill and destroy, but how he's come to give life. Life more abundantly, life to the full. So friends, may we surrender all that we are. May we give all that we have in service to God and his kingdom caring and loving others in his name and engaging faithfully in the work of his kingdom so that in the end we may hear those words that were sung moments ago, well done, my good and faithful servants. Amen Amen. and amen.